Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Angelica Kai Bautista, about reconnecting to her indigenous heritage to heal trauma. I feel that I have to heal these things in me because I was talking to my friend earlier and I said, yeah, like if I pinch myself, like I'm pinching my ancestors. Mm. And now you're shaking your ancestors' head (laughs) as you shake your head. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
I was particularly inspired by Kai's story um, when she wrote um, a couple months ago, because in in the last year, I, I've started to really dive into my ancestry and speak to my one remaining elder, my grandfather, who's 93, and really learn about this part of my family that I never really allowed myself to go into. And I'm someone that that works with not identifying. You know, I, I really love self-inquiry. I love non-attachment. I love to not form identity. And I love to learn about where my body comes from because I, I don't necessarily use it for my identity as much as I use it to understand my body and understand the cultures and understand why my body does what it does or why I like what I like. You know, intergenerational trauma is something I teach about and I work with families on and I read about and I talk about. And there's another part of intergenerational trauma. It's the intergenerational wisdom. It's the teachings that are passed down through the body, not orally, not even um, through literature or writing, but in the body. Your, your body, those of you listening to this, your bodies remember things that your ancestors might not even remember. Because the body is of the earth and everyone's body goes back to an indigenous root. So there's this great wisdom from the indigenous cultures, which essentially are cultures that listened to the earth for thousands and thousands of years. They learned how to steward the earth. They learned how to live symbiotically with the earth. They learned how to heal themselves, heal their bodies by using certain plants. And I find a lot of our modern issues from physical illness to mental illness have to do with a separation and being in opposition to nature, being in opposition to one another. Whereas in an indigenous culture, you are firmly bonded to the planet and to the fellow humans who share that piece of land with you. And I was inspired by Kai's story because she talks about going back to the Philippines to find the indigenous roots of her heritage and learn about magic and herbalism and uh, pre-colonialized uh, living. So her experience of decolonizing herself started with seeing a photograph of a Filipino elder who was indigenous and really beautiful. And something in this elder resonated with something in her. And so it's pretty amazing that she actually traveled, you know, days to find this woman and found her and got a tattoo by her. Pretty amazing story. And Kai told me uh, when we closed when we turned off the mics, that the woman is currently 103 and tattoos seven days a week. So uh, if that's not inspiring, I'm not sure what, what might be. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you enjoy Kai's story. Okay, so I'd like to welcome my guest, Angelica Kai Bautista. Welcome. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. I was really inspired when you wrote a while ago. And I think I think what inspired me was some of the parallels of of a, how you and I have both worked on our traumas because I've gone back into my ancestry and indigeneity as well and worked mm-hmm. with my grandfather and the ancestors to understand more about trauma, how it's held in my body and through my family and such. So I think I wanted to start just by asking you the beginning of your story, um, your birth, growing up, like tell us that part of your adventure before we get into the trauma and the trauma healing. Okay. Um, Well, um, I was born in Los Angeles in 1979. (laughs) So it was a very interesting time. Um, My parents were immigrants to the United States in the 60s. Um, And so I grew up in East LA. And yeah, I I loved growing up in LA. It was very diverse. I grew up in a middle class neighborhood. It was a minority, a minority, um, in quotes, um, neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really loved growing up there. Um, When I was a little bit older, my parents wanted us to move to another suburb called Glendale which is a suburb of Los Angeles, Northeast, because there was like more gang activity from where where I grew up. Like as I got older into junior high school, there was, you know, the school started, school system got a little bit worse. So my parents moved us to Glendale, which is a little bit, it was very diverse, but it was also a little little bit more waspy. Mm. There has been some white nationalist um, activity there in the past. Um, an example would be Forest Lawn is a huge, um, cemetery there and non-white people could not be buried there. So I think also the head of the Ku Klux Klan also lived there and there was American Nazi party history within Hmm. that suburb. (laughs) There was some residual. Oh, I was going to ask you that. Did you experience any residual to that or uh, observe that growing up? Um, yeah, it was diverse also there, but there was definitely a feeling like I started feeling what race was when we moved to Glendale. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Mount Washington, Glassell Park area, it was, I didn't have that feeling. I didn't have a feeling of race. My best friends there were two, two boys, one black guy, one Filipino guy, and one white girl. And we just kind of didn't really see the differences. We I mean, physically we could tell, but race was never really something that permeated my mind at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But when I moved to Glendale, I could definitely feel some type of, I guess, also the socioeconomics. It was a more affluent neighborhood, Mm -hmm. like a middle class, some upper class. It was mixed, but there was definitely elements of socioeconomical differences and, you know, just felt a lot more white. Mm -hmm. And when you were, what, how old were you when you moved there? Um, I was about seven years old. Seven years. So mm-hmm. how did your body hold racism, you know, growing up? Like, how did your body, how did you feel the effect of that in that, uh, I guess I would say in that environment? Like, what did that feel like in your body? How did you start to notice it, I should say? I felt very restricted and in ways having to be the good minority Mm. Um, as far as like not being too loud or not stating my opinions or thinking back. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those, those feelings definitely came up a lot. And I wasn't really taught that I'd say, you know, my parents were, um, very, you know, they're, they are who they are and they're very strong people. And my mom was a business owner and badass woman, you know, I never really had the feeling of, um, being less than the way I observed them. But I think through just subtleties, I, I would feel the repercussions of feeling less than mm-hmm. as far as watching television or seeing like who my idols were on television or who I looked up to or how my dolls looked or um, what we ate and what was acceptable at school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you have... When you moved there, did you have um, did you have any remnants of your culture outside of your home to connect with, or were you the only one? What was that like? Oh no, it was just me and my brother. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> so it went from being really diverse, like you said, to literally just only Filipino family. Um, wait, what do you mean? Like you said, you lived somewhere that was very diverse in East LA, and then when you moved to uh, mm-hmm. Glendale that's it was just you and your family were the only Filipino family there you were very much isolated we culturally yes yeah um I think as we got older there were a few sprinkles like in the elementary school mm-hmm. um but within that elementary school we had Armenians we had uh, Mexicans we had Guatemalans we had Koreans it was it was diverse also mm-hmm. it was just a little bit more white mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense yeah and I'm curious for you did you like what point did something say to you um there's there's cultural trauma here in my body in my mind i want to heal it like what was the thing that signified it for you were there a series of events was there a certain moment was it just kind of like over time i'm curious how that opened up for you okay um well i I think i felt it throughout my life Mm -hmm. i remember this is so sad i I feel sad when i think about this but i remember in Mm -hmm. third grade we had these um, the little magazines that um, would be passed out to the kids. And I remember there was a picture of all of these Filipino kids that were so poor mm. and they're just like so happy and smiling and waving at the camera in the photos. It was the cover of the, the, of the little pamphlet. And I remember being so embarrassed of like the teacher saying, oh, this is, they're Filipino. And, but the representation was, were these poor kids wearing tattered clothes and you know wearing no shoes and I just and they were just glowing and so happy but I just remember feeling such a sense of embarrassment Mm -hmm. and um I think throughout the years those um I think I started opening up and being more curious in my adult years Mm -hmm. and what did that Um, look like it looked like a lot of anger. <laughs> it was a lot of anger, but a lot of curiosity at the same time. Mm. And the anger was in response to the racism you experienced throughout your development, or was it other mm-hmm. things? Yeah. How was that held so. in your family? I'm curious. Like, how did your family hold your anger in response? Did they share that or did they oppose that? Or what was that like? They didn't really contain it very well. So I think I just became very rebellious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because also in the Philippines, 
we were colonized for 333 years by the Spanish. Mm. And so um, I was raised Catholic. Mm. And so religion played a big part of um, the way that I was raised. Mm -hmm. So basically don't question things. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't talk back. Um, God will take care of everything. And for myself, I have fire in me. So I'm like, no motherfucker, I'm going to do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) But my family, my parents were always, you know, God will take care of it. Just, you know, don't worry about it. So my feelings were always pushed down. And so I think that also created a lot of anger in me. And it signaled to me also that that within the culture was something that we had to do because of being subjugated to colonization. We were basically, um, we were basically under the Spanish, under the Americans and under the Japanese. We've been colonized many times. So it was always in a more um, subservient role. It makes a lot of sense. So there's this essentially this intergenerational like fawning and freezing response of just tucking it in to stay safe but something in you was different you had more of a fight response you were much more expressive about your emotions and anger versus implosive right yeah i guess so i I always love that you know i love hearing that because I, i like to see i was talking to my wife about this the other day how when i look at my my ancestry like part of it is Puerto Rican, which was colonized by the Spaniards as well. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the United States. And then the other side is Irish and German. And the the Irish came over, you know, from Ireland. They were very poor. They had their own trauma. But my German relatives were, they lived here for hundreds of years. And Mm -hmm. the part of the trauma response was don't leave. Like we found this land, we're just going to stay. And so it was like 300 plus years, they were just in Pennsylvania. When I was born, I just had this, something in my nervous system was like, this isn't my land. Like I need to leave. And, you know, I was the first one to have that little spark. And so I I like to meet, you know, other people who something in their bodies or their minds or some little seed, right. That's kept alive. that says like, we don't have to follow the pattern. And Mm -hmm. that's what leads to the trauma healing. So I, I wonder for you, as you, as you were breaking that pattern, which opposed the way your family had dealt with it, what what was your next step? Like, how did it go from feeling this anger, realizing you weren't, um, that you were at odds with this way you had, even intergenerationally, we can say being colonized, what led you back to the Philippines to study with ancestors and learn from indigenous culture? Like, how did that take shape? Um, well, about 10 years ago, I was reading a magazine. And yeah, people read magazines back then. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's weird to think, but I remember looking at this picture and there was the most beautiful, badass old lady I have ever seen in my life. Mm. And she was fully tattooed. Her arms were tattooed. Her chest was tattooed. And it was this beautiful black and white photo of of her looking far off. Mm. And as I read the article, um, it was about her being a tattooer in the Philippines and how she was part of this tribe that um, had been tattooing for a very long time. So that was kind of the roots of that that tribe specifically. And I didn't know because, you know, as you grow up as an American, 
um, with an immigrant, with immigrant parents, like we're taught to kind of become Americanized. Mm. Um, we, even with the language, mm-hmm. I can only understand about 30% of Tagalog, mm-hmm. which is my mom's side and Pampangan, which is my dad's side. I don't really understand so much. But when I saw this woman, I realized what there are, there are indigenous cultures that are still in the Philippines and they're mm. this fucking rad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, she just really um, left an impression on me. Mm-hmm. And five years later, so I think this was like 2016, um, I went to the Philippines with my family for the first time. Like mm-hmm. all of us all went together. Mm-hmm. And um, I travel a lot and I've traveled a lot over the years and over the decades. Um, but I decided to stay there and visit her. And so my family left and I stayed behind and I took a journey there. It was about 14 hours from Manila where my family is. And, um, it was just the most beautiful journey that I've taken in my life. And it really turned a lot of, I turned a lot of corners, Hmm. um, and opened up a lot. I, my curiosity was peaked. I wanted to learn more about um, colonization and how that affected me because I don't really know my roots so much. I grew up as an LA kid. I was, you know, going to like mod clubs and goth clubs and punk rock shows. And I didn't know anything about my culture, but I knew a lot about other cultures. So mm-hmm. going there, I, I saw how the village life was. And how people lived off of the land and how um, how much closer to the earth it was. And I'm more of that type of person. I grew up in the city. I appreciate the city, but I'm very hippie. I have two sides of me. I'm very hippie and a very, um, I guess, a subculture. I love both. But... Um, that's, I guess that's what drew me in to really be curious because, like I said, I didn't know that there were other indigenous cultures that wore traditional clothing. Um, I just thought that we were all a bit more homogenous because of colonization. I find that it's also really beautiful when you first discover the indigenous roots of your heritage because mm-hmm. I think through a colonized mind, especially an Americanized mind, um, when you're the child of an immigrant or an immigrant family, there's that there's that desire to Americanize and lose culture versus like let's be living in America, but let's still, you know, practice and learn our culture. There's like a, a separation that occurs from from many people who immigrate here. I know that's that's what happened in my family. Um, mm-hmm. and so when you see the image, like I love how the image called you. And you see, and what I'm imagining is when you saw the image of her, you saw a part of yourself in her, you probably saw something you could relate to in her. And mm-hmm. Right. And so when you went there and you traveled, you, did you actually meet her or did you go to her tribe or what, what, what was that like? Yeah, I met her and wow. it was the, I mean, I think feel like the angels were like singing on me or the, the, the yeah. ancestors or whatever elementals were out there. But, um, it was raining that day and to get there at this time, I think it's easier to go there now, but, um, you have to take a 10 hour bus to the small town of Tinglayan. And from there I had to take um, 
oh no, I had to go to another town, take a two hour bus ride up these hills because they're in the Cordillera Mountains where all the rice terraces are. Mm. And this, the roads are muddy, especially when it's raining. Mm -hmm. They're narrow. The mountains are high and the roads are very bumpy. So I was on top of a jeepney, which is an old World War II jeep that mm. is converted into like these really ornate vehicles. Mm, They're nice. really well known in the Philippines. Um, I was on top of one for two hours, hanging on, sitting in a tire, <laughs> <laughs> like feeling myself bounce on this rubber tire. Like just imagining like bouncing off and falling down the mountain. <laughs> sure. It was the best feeling ever. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Sounds great. It was awesome. But um, it took two hours to get up that mountain. And then also I had to take, I think, a motorcycle up another hour and then take a hike through the rice terraces and through mm. um, different parts of the land wow. to get to the to the village. Just the journey to the village itself, I imagine, was quite awakening and healing just to walk through the different lands and the different, yes. right, the different terrains and the body of where you come from, essentially. Yes. And just how pristine the land was. Because mm -hmm. in the city, in Manila, it's so, you know, it's, it's a city and it's pretty, pretty grimy there. But it was nice to really get in touch with the land itself of how it was before, you know, things. Yeah. Pretty got got pretty messed up. I think it's. I like that you say that um, because when I think of you, uh, I think you said third grade. Looking at that image of those children who look very poor and dirty, you were saying, <laughs> and that was like the idea of what a Filipino looks like who isn't in America. But then you <laughs> go and you get out of the city and you find this like pristine land where it's completely the opposite. I'm sure people are like radiant and healthy and very empowered because they're connected to their land still. They're not as colonized, right? So yeah. something in you must have just healed just seeing, okay, this is another story of my heritage that I didn't get to experience. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I did travel to the Philippines when I was younger um, to my, my mom's, um, they call it a barrio also, um, the province. Um, but it wasn't, the culture was already um, colonized. So there was culture as far as the food and the mm -hmm. way that we are as a people, as a whole, our characteristics and celebrations. But the celebrations were like for Easter or mm -hmm. we'd have festivals or we do um, the rosary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was, it was a different experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. Um, and the food was different too. It was more Western, well, it's Filipino food, but there was also, you know, obviously outside influences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when I went to the mountains, they they grew the rice, they grew their vegetables, and that's basically what they ate, mm. vegetables and rice. And on occasions, they would eat pork for a celebration. Mm -hmm. What was it like meeting this woman? Like you see her image, it calls to you, you go all the way there and you find her. Mm -hmm. you know, like, What was it like to, to discover her? Like, Did you get to speak to her? Did you just look at her from afar? Like, what, what was the experience like with her? I was a creep because <laughs> <laughs> I would have been too. Yeah. I don't get starstruck. I don't really care. I see people as equal, but this woman, I was just like, my mouth was gaping open, mm. just like looking at her from afar, like, 
I, w- I was by myself, <laughs> yeah. but if there was somebody next to me, I'd be nudging them like, she's right there. She's right there. Do you see her? Yeah. Um, so it, it was, yeah, I was starstruck and I was just such a geek and so many mm-hmm. things in my mind were, you know, I had all these questions I wanted to ask her. Um, and it was good that it was raining that day because if it didn't, then, you know, sometimes it's hard to see her. But because nobody wanted to go there in the rain, mm. I was able to get tattooed by her. Ooh, so I nice. have this piece tattooed on That's my wrist. Beautiful. That was from her. Mm-hmm. Incredible. What does that mean? Um, it's serpent skin. So it represents strength. I mm. um, don't know if you can see. I can. It's um, beautiful. She only did the top part. Um, so I guess another part of the healing journey was... I mean, my family was really scared for me to go, mm-hmm. you know, on my own because, you know, they don't, you don't know what's going to happen. But of um, the next year, my family went with me. We went back to the Philippines and my cousin went, my brother, my sister, wow. my aunt. We all went there. Everyone met her and they got tattooed too. Wow, and- that's amazing. <laughs> how was it for them? To, and how was it for you to watch them? That must have been amazing. It was a trip um, because, you know, it, it was it was great to have us bond through that, and we have like irreplaceable memories. And um, I think it was um, I, I felt happy that they were able to step out of their comfort zones also mm-hmm. and go through this. Uh, on that note, though, I do want to mention through this decolonization journey. I think when I first met her, I didn't realize, you know, there are different tribes. So I have to be cognizant that this is not my tribe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's something that I learned throughout time, but um, I still respect it. I appreciate it. But I think um, if I knew before, I'd probably be a little bit more cognizant to find the patterns of where my roots are from. Mm -hmm. I think I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And didn't realize that there were just so such a tapestry of different people there. That's the real. That's like the um, once you start getting into your own lineage and heritage, especially large continents of land, you start to learn so many tribes and different symbols and different elements based on the land itself, the animals of that land, the food of that land, how the sun shines on that land. Yeah. So much varying culture, even on the same soil. Um, whereas before we just think, you know, before you really get into this work of decolonizing yourself, you think, oh, indigenous Filipino, but then you get into it and you're just like, you know, I've done myself too. You realize all these different tribes and it's, it's quite phenomenal. Uh, I appreciate your respect for that. And I'm, I'm just the fact that she would tattoo you also tells me something in you. She felt comfortable doing that. No, she didn't turn you away. So there must've been some honoring there too. Oh yeah. I, um, it was a, it, it's a big honor for me. Yeah. Well, I'm curious after that experience, mm-hmm. have, have there been like any specific rituals or meals or food methods or anything that, that you've taken that you want to share publicly that has helped mm-hmm. you feel like you're more rooted in yourself? Is there anything in particular? Um, yes. Um, as this has been a journey, um, last year I went back again to mm. learn indigenous medicine. Mm. It's called Hilot. Hilot. Um, 
Yeah, H-I-L-O-T. And it is pre-Hispanic natural medicine. Mm. Basically, herbalism. They have albularios who, like, an al- it's albulario, mm-hmm. which are herbalists. Mm-hmm. That's part of the, um, the healing system. There is a form of massage and bone setting. Mm. Um, there are different, like, herbal baths. Um, and it engages, the belief is that you get sick in the spirit before you get sick in the body. Mm. So everything is connected. Um, and also, you know, there's the ancestors, there are the elementals and there are the supreme beings. So it's kind of reminds me of Hinduism a little bit. You think of like Shakti and Shiva. And, you know, the, the oscillation between masculine and feminine and different gods for, um, for plant spirits, for example. Or um, we have also, um, I guess, the, the, earth, the earth beings like dwarves and trolls. And we also believe in like the fairy spirits, which represent air. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it's not a polytheistic belief. It's more of animism, like a, mm-hmm. a respect for nature mm-hmm. and nature spirits. And um, also the nature spirits are an embodiment of the supreme being. Mm. That's beautiful. I had no idea. It's really, it's really lovely to hear. Like, I've done no research into um, indigenous Filipino cultures yet. Mm-hmm. I'd probably be more inspired to now. Um, just to learn more about it, but it um, it's similar because my ancestors are Taino, the indigenous of Puerto Rico, okay. and it's very similar actually. The things you're saying, bone setting and herbal herbalism, and um, the elements, the koki, mm-hmm. the frog, and the turtle, and so there is this animism around the 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 elements of nature as well as the actual creatures of nature and how we're interconnected. And I think it, I don't know if your experience. You said something earlier about goth, like. I was telling this to a friend earlier today that in America, growing up in America, the closest thing I could, there was no word indigenous when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so the closest thing I found was being a witch. I remember like the moment I found this book on um, paganism mm-hmm. and Wicca, I was like something in me <clears throat> lit up because it felt so yeah. right. You know? And then the, <laughs> the more I like went, my people, my people, this makes sense. And then I would come to learn, you know, my indigenous roots and I realized, oh, that's why that made so much sense. So I was curious if you had the same experience or not. Um, that, that's really cool that you experienced that. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I did because I became a story. <laughs> I have many stories, Louise. <laughs> Go for so it. <laughs> I really have to focus. Um, I was kind of nervous because I just always go off on tangents and I have so many <laughs> things that I've been through. But um, last year I went to, um, well, when I learned indigenous medicine, it was with, um, with my teachers who are witches also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became a certified Filipino witch. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's amazing. So um, that, that is called, oh, yeah, it's Luntiang Agama. Mm-hmm. My teachers were Apu and Lakai. Mm-hmm. And they are, um, yeah, they they're really great resources because our history is so eradicated Mm. and to be, we can't find our history anymore because 
we would write on leaves. We actually even have a, a script that we that I learned. It's called Bye Bye And I um, didn't know we had an indigenous type of script. There were there were several of them. Um, but we we I learned that with them. But they're basically collectors of knowledge. Each different area in the Philippines had different beliefs. They had different gods and goddesses. And um, I guess now we just have to collect all of that information. And mm. I feel for myself, I have to extract it from myself. Mm. Mm. Makes a lot of sense to me. Ultimately, like as you mentioned before, you see parallels within your Puerto Rican um, heritage with what I mentioned earlier with, you know, herbalism and bone setting. And I think that's just the way of the people. I agree. Like, that's who we are. So there's a lot of similarities because we have our inner intelligence. Mm. And really nice we speak with nature. And nature told us, okay, hi, I'm a, this plant over here. You have a stomach ache over here. You know, let me look so pretty mm. and let me call mm. you and wave in the wind. And my scent is going to attract you. It's going to calm your calm your stomach when you smell me. Mm. So now, if you boil me, it's going to be even more, I'll be even more powerful. My mm. information is going to go into your body and I'm going to help you feel better. It really I is that, just... that beautiful. Like it, it, That's exactly my experience. And I like how you really? said that. Well, I like how you said, because um, that's, that's who we are as people. It's like at the root of it, everyone's indigenous. It depends like how far they are from that root. Some people are yes. a little closer in their DNA, some people a little further, but we're all indigenous. We all come from an original place on this earth mm-hmm. where some of our bodies like mine are made up of different ones. But the okay. indigeneity is so, um, it's so easy to connect to, right? Because it's all mm-hmm. it all is the same, different expression based on where it is in language and, and culture is different. But the mm-hmm. foundation, like you were just saying, listening to earth, following earth, listening to body. It's like, that's the sim- simplicity of the foundation of indigeneity. And I find mm-hmm. that so beautiful. And when you were saying like, this flower looks, this plant looks really beautiful and dances to lure you in. When I think of the ancestors that discovered these things and listened to the earth and the um, you know indigenous witches and healers who listened, their whole life's work was to listen to earth and then teach, right? And so we have thousands of years of people listening to earth. And um, so when these cultures get colonized, what, what, what essentially happens is, you know, we, we lose the wisdom uh, in that <laughs> moment. But then there's these beautiful, like, with this woman you found, these witches you've worked with, your own connections you're creating, where the wisdom's still there. It's like waiting for more people to come back for it. So I'm, I have this like dream that mm-hmm. Americans will go back to their indigenous cultures just as you are. And it's okay. a process, like you said, it's a lifelong process. Uh, you don't just go there and then you're done. It's like your, no. whole, <laughs> your, your whole life is about relearning and unlearning. But I feel like if everyone went back physically or just in their minds with with books and with teachers, so much earth wisdom and healing and collective trauma healing gets to come forward. Um, Mm -hmm. I love that. It's such a gift. How are you incorporating that now? Is it just part of your life or do you do this work for people? Like, what does that look like? Um, I just, yeah, I do work for people. It's, it's, I mean, ever since I was younger, I was able to connect to the spirit very easily. 
I think within the culture, even though we were, um, you know, colonized and we grew up Catholic, those, those elements are still within us. So, I mean, talking, you know, I saw my brother the other day, we had a dinner for my sister-in-law's birthday. And, you know, we just talk about ghosts, you know, like he was talking about how this ghost was messing with him. And those are just conversations that we have. It's normal. Um, you know, my dad would tell me about how he would know his mom was around because he smelled a certain flower. Um, we're just connected. I think as people, it's like still within our DNA and within our culture, even though it was a lot, like a lot of it was eradicated, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think I've just been very connected just through my bloodline and also just like leaving my body. Like I got burned when I was four years old and I left my body for the first time when I was four. Mm. So I was able to see my spirit leave and watch myself from another place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I've had those gifts and learning what I've learned going back. I guess it's reinforcing it because I was able to also talk to the land. Mm. Um, this is, a, I'm sorry, I'm going off on another tangent. <laughs> I would I would not call it, so. Um, yeah, I went back to the land last year when I, when I went to learn. I, I went there to find a lot of different healers. Um, and then I got locked down on this uh, permaculture farm with a woman um, who, she's also a healer. Um, and she's a yogi, and she is the facilitator of this beautiful farm in La Union, Philippines. And um, I got quarantined there. There was a lockdown. And I was able to talk to the land very closely because it was just me and the land. There was, everyone was locked down. There was really, there was one other person that was staying on this farm, but um, it was basically me and three other people um that were taking care of the land but Mm. anyways um yeah the land was telling me about what happened there Mm. um because within the history there was um a lot of violence you know with the spanish with the americans with the japanese i was able to connect with the japanese spirits there um who were very regretful of what happened um it was a garrison for the japanese in the forties. So there was a lot of people that died there. Mm. Um, and within the trees, I could see women. Mm. And I realized like they were not really happy. And, and this is really sad though, too. Like, I, I don't know, like kind of shaking thinking about it, but, um, there were, um, young girls like that I could see in the trees too. And um, it just showed me the history, you know, mm-hmm. because I know that they were raped and killed. And I also saw the the warriors there that were indigenous to the land. Mm-hmm. And that was really wonderful to see. But um, as far as connecting to the land and getting to know my ancestry and learning through my DNA, I was really able to feel like the anger as a whole um, because I could feel people getting killed. Mm. I could feel the women getting raped like within me. I know it sounds very strange, um, 
And I always feel weird when I talk about these things because, you know, it sounds very crazy, but that's part of my gift is feeling. So mm -hmm. I kind of feel, feel the world and I can feel energy in places and within people. And that was just part of the healing process mm -hmm. because I was able to talk to the spirits. I remember talking to the Japanese and they were really regretful and I couldn't forgive them. <laughs> Well, Sid, when you're talking about these, this experience of seeing these women and these children and mm -hmm. feeling these, these, these horrors and these traumas, mm -hmm. I mean, what, you know, what, what I hear when you say that is a, um, a very, you know, spiritual somatic experience of intergenerational trauma, because your body comes from those lands where past bodies experience these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's, in, you know, it's incredible, like, so, you know, a lot of times when, when people talk about past lives, I often see past lives through this lens of what you're experiencing of you, your body. If you're, if you're able to feel into your body, it can mm -hmm. be quite a hallucinogenic experience. You know, it's why people do mushrooms and why people do ayahuasca and why people do um, anything that opens up those, those parts of the mind. Because yeah. when the mind isn't, let's say, uh, structured on a certain reality, we're able to, to open up the DNA and parts of the body and you can travel back in time to where your body comes from. So you getting in touch on a visceral level with the lineage from where you come from doesn't sound that crazy to me. It sounds like, you know, Thank you. yeah, you're tapping into, you know, ancestral trauma and that happens yeah. a lot. And I, I think as you're saying that, that's what, it doesn't happen for everybody, but that context of knowing there was this kind of abuse and violence gives a lot of validation to why you might've had so much anger as well, you know, growing up, um, not just because of the culture you grew up in, like a normal response to a racist culture, but as mm -hmm. well, right. This anger that they couldn't have. And now you're mm -hmm. able to have it and move it through. I think it can be very beautiful. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause um, I think you articulated exactly like how, how I feel. Um, I feel that I have to heal these things in me because I was talking to my friend earlier and I said, yeah, like if I pinch myself, like I'm pinching my ancestors mm. and now you're shaking your ancestors head as <laughs> you shake your head. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And it's so cool to think, um, like once I start to heal my, my genetics and my epigenetics, mm -hmm. um, I will be able to like, I just kind of see it as like. I know that sounds weird, but like if dominoes all fell, like once I start healing, the dominoes can all come up. I guess I'm seeing it like linearly. Like if my ancestors were all lined up, like mm -hmm. once I stand up, like everyone can stand up. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because um, they're all in you, like you said, right? Yeah. That's, they're all, they're pre like ancestors are present in you right now. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the magic I think of, of ancestry and the body is that this body is the product thousands of people and so everything they went through and what they couldn't heal got passed down to the next body to work through and so for you to be able to work through it and feel a sense of clarity and a sense of um capacity and safety in yourself even in a world that might not be safe but there's like a safe space in you and there's clarity mm -hmm. you've literally brought your ancestors into a body that's safe and alive and that's pretty magical <laughs> right brooding sometimes too <laughs> i think it's i think it's great you know i i had a 
I had a um, conversation with a woman the other day, Claudia Serrato. She was on my podcast on Friday. Um, oh, cool. Decolonizing your diet. And oh, she awesome. she's an amazing, amazing woman. And one thing uh, she was saying and we were talking about was how um, when we get in touch with our indigeneity, especially mm-hmm. cultures that were really repressed, it's almost like we're giving those bodies a life now where they're not repressed. Like you get to practice wow. the herbalism that maybe your parents couldn't and their parents couldn't, but you get mm-hmm. to bring this tradition to the the present and it, it honors all of them so beautifully. So I really, wow. I love that idea. Yeah, that's really beautiful Yeah, and to see it that way. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for for coming on and speaking. Um, it was really nice to hear your story and just to to connect and experience. And I wanted other people to be able to experience ways that they can connect to their their roots, um, not to identify and separate, but to do just the opposite to connect much more deeply and right and validate something in the body that might not be validated elsewhere. Thank you. I really appreciate you very much. Mm-hmm. In closing, I just I just want to say something in response to the term white. Um, Kai used it, and I've used it, and um, we all use it to some extent. It's it's a term, you know that that is um, you know born out of social construct and 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 from the mind, not from the land. And sometimes when you listen to things like this, you think, um, well, indigeneity you know, means black or brown or person of color. That's just a, you know, a racial concept. It's not true. Indigeneity is uh, everyone. Everyone is indigenous to a certain place. Um, How close the indigeneity is in your bloodline through your ancestry will, will differ. You might have to go 500 years back. You might have to go 30 years back. It depends on who you've descended from. But the key here, the, the, what I'm trying to teach or what I'm hoping to get across is by connecting to your indigeneity, regardless of skin color or race, you connect to a land that you come from, a land that your body has memory of and has a wisdom of, of the foods, of the herbs, of the culture that it grew up in. And even though we are if you're listening to this from, let's say, America, like where I live, we're, we're American, right? Which means we grew up in America. This is the culture we know. This is the land we know. However, we came from somewhere and our bodies are descendants of that place. And so like a seed that blows to another land, it doesn't stop being a rose just because it grows in America. It's still a rose. So we want to allow ourselves to, if you're interested in this, connect to your ancestry so you can find your indigenous culture, learn the methods through your bloodline, from your bloodline. And that will help you gain a little somatic access and wisdom to the information your body holds, Uh, really powerful information around healing yourself, healing others, and taking care of the land. So I find the invitation to um, to study or research or get curious about your own indigeneity, I find it to be a powerful way 
to heal trauma retention, the residue of ancestral intergenerational trauma, as well as to connect to the land and start healing the constructs that we've created from separating from the land. And so it's my little, um, my little prayer for us all to get back to the planet in the small ways and the large ways. But it's very empowering to remember that we all have that wisdom in our bodies. And when we connect to those indigenous roots, that wisdom turns on and we might start remembering or feeling or thinking differently pretty quickly. And it's something we can all do for free and we can all do at our own pace when we're ready. So I find it important because white is just as polarizing as black. Whereas culture is the the land that you come from. And in America, it's very easy to forget where we come from because we want to come here to become American. And I think a beautiful new America, or the America, the America that maybe we're evolving into, is one that allows us to retain our cultures so we don't homogenize but instead um, interdepend and interrelate and integrate into one another while holding on to our our very unique, beautiful, diverse cultures, opinions, and bodies. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath. And just notice, what's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.